Thank you for downloading this week's podcast of Talk Politics. Uh, this week, I am joined by Adrian Bueller, Senior Fellow at the Commonwealth Think Tank, and Asa Bennett from The Telegraph. Uh, we talk about the new immigration rules, or perhaps not so new immigration rules, and we talk about them with Stephen Slater, immigration lawyer at OTS Solicitors. And I also speak to Justin Madders, Labour MP for Elsmore Port and Neston, about the upcoming uh, leadership election, which seems to be going on for a while, and some interesting comments uh, by hopeful uh, deputy leader Dawn Butler. Uh, finally, I'm joined in the studio by George Turner, director of taxwatch.org. All that in this podcast. This whole idea that Priti Patel said, look, there's uh, uh, eight and a half million economically inactive people, as in uh, trying to instill in the public that, look, there's all these British people that are lying around doing nothing. Now, in the show earlier on, we did discuss that uh, that eight and a half million figure is um, slightly misleading. Uh, the real figure perhaps is closer to two million. But explain to us why this whole idea of, hang on, you've got a lot of vacancies. You've got 100,000 or so in the NHS. You've got um, uh, hundreds of thousands in the social care industry. Uh, we've got to two, roughly two million people laying around. Job done. Those people, fill those jobs. We don't need immigration. Why is that logic flawed? It's the same logic as the... It's the economic equivalent of the Flat Earth Society. Um, it, it, it appears to match, but the reason that it doesn't is that if you look at the, the, the areas where EU nationals have come to work in the UK population, mm -hmm. they're a top-up. They're a top-up where we've reached the natural limit of what we can do with the domestic population. So let's take, let's take social care as an example, which the Migration Advisory Committee... Uh, flagged was a, was a key area of shortages. 84% of the people who work in social care were British. That's about as many people as you can persuade to work in those extremely arduous and low-paid occupations. And in social care, the National Audit Office reported they've got a 6.6% vacancy rate. Now, you've, we've only managed to persuade about a quarter of a million EU nationals, sorry, a quarter of a million of a million migrants to work in social care. Only half of those are EU nationals. So it's a tiny number that migrants are topping up. But we've reached the natural limit of who can provide that labour. In the agricultural field, the NFU have said that they need at least 70,000 seasonal agricultural workers. The government's promising them 2,500. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't add up. And uh, the reason it doesn't add up is because the domestic population are already in work. They're not going to leave the higher-paid, high-skilled jobs to move down the ladder to do lower-paid, low-skilled jobs. Uh, and, in, and the particular problem will be in hospitality. KPMG have predicted by 2029 we'll have, we would have a shortfall of a million workers in hospitality. And that's why if your domestic population at working age is not growing fast enough, that's why a migration policy of this sort is going to cause inevitably economic decline because industry won't be able to expand and recruit um, at the rate which they would naturally need to grow when demand increases. So that, that, it, it's, it's, it's plain as a pike staff. If you, if you limit the potential for growth, then your, your economy overall is going to be poorer. Uh, now, you can say 
that people who um, had xenophobic opinions are happy to be poor. Um, but I, I, I think what, what, what we're seeing is the administration of a toxic shock to the economy because it's all going to happen too quickly come January. And, there is, and the, the Tier 2 scheme, currently 31,000 employers, just cannot scale up in time. It takes, it takes two to three months even to be granted a mm. Tier 2 sponsorship license as an employer. How on earth they think they're going to uh, magic into existence Tier 2 sponsors by the end of the year, it's just not feasible. And employers, if they can't source that labour, they will just choose either to mechanise or not to expand at all. Or worse still, they'll expand elsewhere in Europe and they'll simply uh, move to areas of the, of the EU where they, where they can get access to the same labour. We are also talking about the, the election of the deputy uh, leader. Can I ask your opinion on something that one of the Labour le uh, deputy leader candidates uh, put out on her Twitter feed yesterday? Dawn Butler says an MP who publicly undermines the leader should be suspended. The party needs to unite and it needs discipline. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I... I don't often comment on my colleagues' uh, tweets, but I felt compelled to on that occasion because I thought that was a, um, a pretty unhelpful thing to say, frankly. Um, uh, we live in a free society. We have uh, a democratic uh, system. We have a democratic party. People are entitled to uh, voice their opinions. Um, I would agree that possibly over the last three or four years there have been too many Labour MPs who have spoken out and undermined the leadership too often, but um, I think that that is something that we, we have to accept as, as part of the territory. And if we start trying to crack down on uh, dissenting voices, um, we will be going down a very slippery slope. And indeed, Jeremy Corbyn is the perfect example of someone who uh, spoke up vociferously uh, and regularly against whoever the Labour leader was in the <laughs> yes. past. So I, I think it's, it's not something that... Uh, will get much traction. I think it's probably a symptom of the fact that there are five leadership, five deputy leadership candidates, uh, all vying for attention, and uh, with a leadership contest going on at the same time, it's quite difficult to to sort of get get that much media interest. So I think sometimes people probably say things that um, are designed to uh, catch the eye, so to speak, and um, that may be one of them. Um, also, want to get your thoughts on you know th this. A period of the Labour leadership, particularly after the um, what was quite a, a, a crushing defeat in uh, December, uh, Labour was so, supposed to go into a period of self-reflection to find out exactly what uh, had gone wrong. I know that there is a, uh, a commissioned sort of study uh, on uh, on what has gone wrong with uh, Labour because uh, James Meadway, who's part of the uh, of the panel, was on the show a couple of weeks back. But this study is not going to be published until after the ballot papers go out. Do you think that's a sort of almost like an own goal? If you're going to ask people to vote for a new candidate, don't you want to have that report out to show what went wrong last time? Well, I think, I think one of the issues with the current leadership contest has been that um, there's been probably too much um, proximity to the, the recent election result. Obviously, two of the three candidates were part of the shadow cabinet. I think that, that they have not been as challenging as, as I would have liked on uh, where it went wrong. Um, I, I, I think that actually um, the 
the period of reflection and the, the need for us to renew are going to going to take a couple of years and, and possibly a leadership contest bound up in personalities isn't isn't necessarily the best way to do it. But I think whoever does win has to take uh, one of the findings come through seriously. Otherwise, we are going to see the same again. But I, I, I do think that the, that the contest hasn't really um, articulated other than through Lisa herself uh, why uh, why we, we've lost actually now four elections in a row. But here's the question that I think most listeners will be wondering about. If you know about these schemes and how they're being mishandled, and we're talking about tax avoidance, and the HMRC knows about them because they created them, why don't they just close those loopholes? Well, so that's where I think a lot of the confusion lies, because people will say, OK, tax avoidance is legal, and therefore it's allowed. And when you say something is legal, it gives it the kind of impression that this is almost, you know, permitted by law, yeah. right? That's what people say. Yeah. When they... But the reality is that uh, courts and judges, uh, you know, court judges can take the view that something is not the intention of the law. Yeah and make a judgment which strikes out the effect of that tax avoidance scheme. So HMRC can take, going back to the banker's bonus example, right, with the, mm -hmm. with the share scheme, yeah. that actually happened. So HMRC then took, it was Deutsche Bank and UBS to court, it ended up in the Supreme Court. And um, what Deutsche Bank and UBS argued was that all of these schemes had met all of the tests in the very detailed and specific anti-avoidance legislation and therefore could not be considered to be tax avoidance. And the Supreme Court said, no, you know, it's clearly not the intention of the government for you to do what you're doing, and therefore we're going to reverse what you're doing and we're going to tax it. Uh, and so you get to these uh, situations where companies and businesses are trying it on, or, you know, their advisors as well, and it goes to court, and there's, it's kind of a civil matter where HMRC and the business come to an agreement saying, actually, that didn't work, and mm -hmm. so we have to tax it. I think it's very difficult to describe that as perfectly legal in the way that the public would think is perfectly legal, right? When you say to somebody, that's perfectly legal, they go away and they think, okay, this means I can do it and I, I will face no consequence. Right. That's not true. And the way that the legal profession, I have to say, is being in the tax field has been, well, problematic is one way to describe it, but it's not a very good way to describe it. But, you know, it's dangerous for, for this idea to be out there that tax avoidance schemes are legal because people then do them 15, 20 years down the line, they find out that their legal advisor was wrong and they find out they get a tax bill of 10, 20, 30, sometimes yeah. hundreds of thousands of pounds. They can be ruined. Uh, How far back can you be? I thought it was six, seven years. Well, it's six years, a normal yeah. course of business, but if if it's thought that you took deliberate attempts to conceal uh, your tax position or, or what you were doing, then it can be up to 20. Wow. Um, you know, what you did 20 years ago, people have forgotten entirely. Um, so, you know, when... I think my point I'm trying to make, I think, is that when lawyers and legal advisors tell their clients that something is perfectly legal, mm -hmm. I think there's a very heavy burden of responsibility to them to make sure that what they're talking about is something which is kind of bulletproof mm. uh, and entirely in line with the theory and the purpose and the intent of the law. Otherwise, people could end up getting huge amounts of trouble because they, in good faith, have taken advice mm. and they, they're not experts themselves 
No, and, in the end, and it's, it's not the lawyers who are going to have to end up paying for and it's, it. They're it's, long gone. If I told you about fraud, what do people get really upset about? And it, and as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, gosh, we spent so much time thinking about benefits fraud. That's the thing that people get really upset about. A health tourism as well. But benefits fraud, and benefit fraud, I just looked it up, and again, there's various figures, but they are nothing, nothing compared to the tax gap. So all these people shouting about benefits fraud and this this vilification of people who have to rely on the benefits system with this assumption that if you have more than one child and you're on benefits, you're somehow defrauding the taxpayer to the tune of the highest figure I can find is a four billion. Um, but actually, it's not quite clear whether any whether that is overpayment. But fraud, fraud in itself, is 1.2 billion plus tax credit fraud of 308 million. So again, let's call it two billion. It's nothing, nothing. It's a lot of money, but it's nothing compared to the tax gap. And I wonder how many of those people who who complain about benefits fraud, and again, I'm not condoning benefits fraud, by the way, shouldn't happen, no fraud should happen, shouldn't be defrauding the, the taxpayer. But why are people more upset about benefits fraud than they are about the tax gap? And perhaps it is because quite a lot of people are part of the tax gap problem. Quite a lot of people have accepted to pay for a cash job or to charge the cash job, which is a version of fraud, of tax fraud. Thank you for downloading this week's Talk Politics podcast. And a reminder, you can listen to the show live every Sunday, 10am to 1pm. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 